You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Potato Files here on Never Sleeps Network. Guys, I'm sitting here with a very, very accomplished man. He is he is uh, the man who started stand-up comedy pretty much in this country. He is an Order of Canada. He runs Yuck Yucks, which is the largest chain of comedy clubs in the world. Mark Breslin is here with us in the studio. Honk your horns, make some noise, do whatever you do. I don't know what they do out there, Mark. I have no idea what they do. I'm cut off. I live in a, <laughs> an ivory tower. Actually, I'm in an ivory tower right now. It's not bad, eh? A little view, view out there. Tip-top nice tailors. View. Go get a nice suit. Uh, what would you think of my uh, radio voice intro? It was very radio voice. Um, <laughs> I, I asked Kira, I was, like, real. I was like, he's going to roll his eyes, and she's like, oh, no, he won't. Because uh, uh, you're, you're a showbiz guy. You get it. I'm a showbiz guy. I'm from a showbiz background, kind of. I didn't even realize that it's your voice that does the uh, Yuck ah! Yucks intro until yeah, she told me that. That's right. So, I mean, that was my voice 25 years ago, okay. <laughs> but we like it, so we keep it. Keep it going. Would you record that on uh, cassette tape? Probably. <laughs> to digitize it I think way. so, Yeah. <laughs> It was a long time ago. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it sounds good. It's uh, it's 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 a good indicator the show's about to start. You know what I don't like about uh, the the what they do at the Yuck Yucks Downtown Club is they have the song that is in the intro just yes. in their music mix. I know. So, like, so you 10 think to the hour, you're about to go on. Yeah, ten to the hour, you hear like the and song, and then it's something I know. I don't know why the song is in the mix. Uh, but it's a good song. Um, welcome. What do you what do you think of the studio? Never sleeps network. Well, I can see because there's a bed in the room. Well, it's clearly uh... somebody does sleep here. <laughs> there's there'll be no sleeping on that today. That's straight fucking that that bed. <laughs> right, Alex? Show us. Come on. This is my uh, producer, Baba Jui, who you uh, work for during yes. the day. Yes. You're a, you're a, you know Stern. You're a Stern fan, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Baba Bui. This, we got Baba Jui here. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's get started, Mark. You, uh, are you a Toronto guy originally? Yes. Uh, born and raised, uh, 1952. 1952. The city was very different then. Let me do some math here. What I'm 67 years 67. old. Just turned 67. That's all right, eh? Uh, How do you feel? Well, considering in high school I was voted least likely to make it past 30, <laughs> I think that every year is a gift. I'm coming up to 40 next year and I'm like, I didn't think I was going to make this. No, I always thought I'd be murdered. Murdered? Yep. <laughs> Just... On stage? Ang- ang- no, that's too dramatic. But angry fan, uh, John Lennon style. I, a lot of crazies were around, especially in the early days, and <laughs> I just right. thought one of them was going to say, I love you, and then pop me one. <laughs> At least you hear the I love you before you go. There was a guy that we had to call the, the police on. Somebody went into his house. He was a kind of comic, and he had a shrine to Mark Breslin oh my. with clipping. It was right out of some you know David Lynch movie, and we had to call the police on him. Really? Yeah. Did you get to keep any of the shrine? No, it was all clippings that I'd, I already, already have. I already yeah. got my own scrapbook. So Thanks. I already have my own shrine. <laughs> uh, so uh, there have been some crazy Some stuff. add-ons you're bringing home. You know, you don't have to worry about the people who hate you. You have to worry about the people who love you. Mm-hmm. What do you, uh, I always I always uh, think that, uh, would, would, you, would you mind if a fan came up and shot you? Like, in the scheme of things. You mean as a way to go? Way to go. Um, yes, I would mind very much. Well, how do you want to go? How do I want to go? You don't want to go. Oh, well, no, I we... don't want to go. <laughs> yeah. But if I have to go, and I will have to go, um, I would like to go just before I get horribly sick. 
<laughs> because you see, I'm, I grew up, my father owned nursing homes. Oh. And I watched people at the very worst yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end of their lives. And that's what I don't want. Screaming for a bedpan. My sister just turned 90. I have, there's a 24 year old uh, difference between myself and my older oh, sister. My. Um, and we threw a party for her, and she's in a wheelchair, and she can't remember much. And, you know, who said old age is not for sissies? I think it was <laughs> Betty Davis. And it's absolutely true. Did she enjoy the party at least? Yeah. Oh, you'll never believe this, but uh, we got, uh, this was my wife's idea and mine, uh, we got her a male stripper, <laughs> um, seriously, and dressed as a rabbi. Um, and he did a whole dance. Now, he had never met a Jew before, so I, I found him on the internet so i had to direct him towards what klezmer music was i had to get him a, um, an outfit he i had to show him how to do the you know the rabbi dance to start with but he went right down to his underwear and rubbed his ass in my sister's face it was wonderful Did she she liked it though. she loved it she laughed her ass off but you know what my sister was always funny That's always right. had a great sense of humor my mother always had a great sense of humor my father was a more you know phlegmatic kind of guy business you know, business as always. Have you uh, ever, ever seen the pics from my wife, Kira, who works for you? Uh, have you seen pictures from her bachelorette party, the stripper she had? Uh, no. It was uh, Marito Lopez. Oh. Well, you know, <laughs> when you're on a budget. <laughs> half price. He's half price. Half price I actually just right. ran into him on the walk over here. I said I was coming to me. He's, he, Marito always greets everyone with Shalom. And then uh, I told him I was coming to interview you, and he said, tell Mark, Shalom Shabbats. And I was like, okay. Well, if I were a religious Jew, I would care. <laughs> was there religion in your household growing up? Um, sort of, and yes and no. Um, I was brought up Orthodox. Okay. Uh, you know, there are four levels of, of Judaism, I do right? Not. Um, going from the most religious to the least, it's um, Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, and Showbiz. <laughs> and um, the Showbiz Jews uh, would worship the ghost of Louis B. Mayer. Um, but I was brought up in a um, kind of nominally uh, religious household where we didn't have bacon. Uh, but if we went to a restaurant, well, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a bit different. When my sister, not my 90-year-old sister, but my sister who passed away about 20 years ago, she got multiple sclerosis, um, whatever little religion my parents had s simply vanished because, you know, how could a god yeah, yeah, do yeah, this get, get, to their yeah, child? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't say I grew up in a very religious household, and yet I can still probably do all the liturgy and, and things that most mo modern Jews really can't do. Alex, how are you on that? My family would eat Chinese food on paper plates in the house because that's how you would prevent right, right. the kosher law enforcement from uh, three pillaging. Se three sets of dishes, milk, meat, and trafe. That's right. Now, that's for about 14 people in the audience that are listening right now. But that's okay. I wish we had those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing fine here on the Potato Files. Um, what about your son? Are you? Is there any religion in there? Or? Well, no. I mean, I, I wouldn't call myself an atheist because even that's uh, an ism. Mm -hmm. The only ism I really believe in is jism. <laughs> um, so um, I, I'm an old-fashioned free thinker. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know whether there is, whether there isn't. But you're not going to um, do a hard stance on oh, you guys are idiots. No, but I, he'll have a bar mitzvah. We'll send him to Hebrew school for a year beforehand so he gets that part of his culture. Mm -hmm. But I had to go for five years after school, every single day, five days a, sorry, five days a week, two hours a... You know, when you're eight God. years old, this is not what you want to do. Yeah. I hated it, and I had a teacher who was a Holocaust survivor, and every time you acted up, she would pull her 
uh, sleeve back and say, look at this! And she would show us the, show the number tattoo, on yeah. her arm and then beat us with a ruler. Oh and, uh, you know, she had the right to do anything because she was a survivor. Yeah, you can't fuck with the survivors. No, no. Survivors are blanche. considered, you know, uh, untouchable in the Jewish community. Mm-hmm, no doubt. Um, what about your wife? She uh, Not Jewish. Not Jewish? In fact, not only is she not Jewish, she's as not Jewish as they come. She's German. <laughs> you went really So some it. Jew I am, I belong to the Bacon of the Month Club. <laughs> and I have a Gentile. Not only do I have a Gentile wife, I have a German wife. But she's a Semitophile. What is that? Well, you know how there's a lot of anti-Semitism in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also the opposite that not a lot of people realize. There's philo-Semitism, and that, uh, those are people who are not Jewish but love Jews. Oh, okay. uh, Love the Jewish people. She never dated a guy who wasn't Jewish. That's, that's... Uh, even like before she met me, she had a string of Jews. Um, and she loves Leonard Cohen. They need a better Woody term Allen. for that, though. Yeah, so it's a Semitophile, and um, she's very pro-Jewish. People think she's Jewish. She's a Jewish puck bunny. Puck bunny. You don't know what a puck bunny that's is? That's a hockey. That's that's the girls that like hockey players. Yeah, well, they call them puck bunnies. She does not like hockey players, but she does a lot of <laughs> hockey player weddings. She's a wedding planner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she has a lot of famous hockey players as clients. And if I knew more about hockey, I would tell you who they were, and I, you'd be really impressed. I, I, I but would, I don't I, know who these people are. I wouldn't are. even know who they are. I don't no, give I don't a shit about sports, about man. I hate sports. I do know the, the, the girls that like lacrosse players are called lacrostitutes. That's funny. <laughs> and, the, and the girls that like comedians are called? Chuckle fuckers. That's, we need a better name. Yeah. There was one in the movie that we saw at the Jewish Film Festival. That's what they, right. What did he refer Jokies. to? Jokies. That's terrible. Because hey. it's groupies, but for. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's terrible. That's no bad. Good. Chuckle fuckers is the best we have right now, but it, it can be done better. Mm-hmm. I think so. <laughs> um, so, how many siblings you got in this uh, very Jewish household growing up? Well, I had two older sisters. One was 19 years older, one was 24 years older. But they were out of the house almost by the time I was born. So as a result, I really had the equivalent of three mothers. So you kind of just grew up like an only child. I grew up like an only child, but with... Pampered. Only child with extras. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because both my sisters treated me as if they were my... My mother's. Well, they're and old I got enough a to tremendous th- amount of, of maternal attention. Yeah, yeah, they got that um, maternal Which is why I've always age. had, you know, really interesting and uh, good relationships with women. Mm-hmm. What's um, why? Why is the big gap? Because I believe my mother did not realize she could get pregnant at her age. Ah, she was 44 when I was born. So and back in 1952, dice. that was extremely rare. Yeah, yeah. Extremely rare. And I have a feeling she just thought, well, she, yeah, would, I'm, I'm she past was menopausal yeah, and yeah, yeah. that was the end of it. But <laughs> surprise. So, so if she's 44, then uh, your oldest sister was born when your mom was 20. Yeah. I, my dad was uh, 19. My mom was 18 when my oldest brother was born. And my then, mother got married young. She was 18. Uh, my father was 10 years older than, than her. Okay. Um, they, um, yeah, and then they, they they had me. I don't think they were expecting it. I don't think they had the energy for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a, <laughs> had a bit of a weird... older sisters that had the energy, Well, so I had helped. a bit of a weird l- sort of lonely childhood, mm-hmm. uh, but that's okay. I mean, I certainly learned to play by myself, which was really important. Yeah, yeah. What about school? Were you good in that? I was a very good student. Yeah. I could read before I was three. Um, I was, I actually you worked as a, you're not going to believe this, but I was a substitute teacher in my high, in my public school. When I was in grade three, they would, uh, if the substitute teacher didn't show up in grade six, they would say, send Mark in. And I would go in and I would somehow <laughs> teach the class, kill time. I was very good student until uh, I got to high school. Then my interests changed mm-hmm. radically. And then I became a good student again when I got to university. Okay. 
Um, I could have gone to, like all my friends became professors and lawyers and doctors, and I could have gone in that direction. My marks were good enough, but I was restless. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't want to, I did not want a desk job. I did not want to do what everybody else was doing. And whatever I did, I did not want to become a lawyer, which is what I was being streamed to do because if you're Jewish and mm-hmm. you're middle class and you can speak well, that's what you do. Yeah. And I did not want that at all. No, no. Um, what about... Uh... I had a thought. It's gone. It's That's okay. Right. <laughs> it happens. And you know what else? It was um, the tail end of the 60s. It was into the 70s now. And um, people didn't have the same relationship with the obsessive success that they do now. Everybody wants to be a success. It's all about success. It's all about... And it mm-hmm. wasn't then. It was all about experimentation, finding your own voice, finding your own self. You... It was really quite a wonderful time, So when, when's your, your informative years are... I guess when like you're a teenager, what's that? The '60s. In the then? '60s, yeah. And I was very active in the '60s with '60s things. Yeah. I marched. I was very um, involved in you know trying to end the war in Vietnam, even though we weren't really in the war in Vietnam. Yeah. I would go to all the demonstrations. We're doing our job up here, guys. <laughs> well, I always liked Leonard Cohen's line, which is he always he would join the Socialist League because that's where the girls were the easiest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and what neighborhood in Toronto did you grow up in? Well, um, I grew up uh, around Bathurst and St. Clair till I was about 16, and then we moved into Forest Hill, oh. so I went from being physically abused to being psychologically abused. <laughs> Were you, um, it's, who's abusing you, the parents or the, the, the locals? No, the locals, the kids. Were you a popular um, kid in school, though? Not exactly. I had a lot of friends in Forest Hill, but they were all the outcasts. Mm. And they were all the people who actually went on to do interesting things with yeah, their yeah. lives instead of just inheriting their parents' business. Yeah, the, so, the outcasts I had, are the fun ones. I had a lot of, I had a lot of good friends. I'm, I still see them. I'm still close. In fact, friendship's really important to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm still friends with people I was friends with in grade six, if you can believe that. Oh, I, I, I'm 20 years behind you, but I, got, uh, I still got um, friendships from from when i was a kid like my oldest friend johnny he came out a couple weeks ago to yuck yucks he, i think we've been friends since we we're four yeah see that's great yeah but i make him better friend than a relative and it's the thing is with friends too is now that um you, you get less time with them as you get older uh but like those real friends like uh this johnny guy i hadn't seen him in two years he came to my house and it was just a. Uh, you just right back into it's it. It's as you know? if you never left. Yeah. I know. It's and, great. Uh, it's just it's it's nice. It's it's hard to make those kind of friends, especially in our showbiz lives. Well, it's also important. Um, I think one of the reasons I managed to get through my life somewhat intact psychologically is I never depended on the people I worked with uh, to be my friends. Mm-hmm. I had a whole group of friends that had nothing to do with my work. Okay. And that is a very important thing. My thing is with my friendships. Um, since like I started comedy very late in life and then, um, the core group of friends I had like in Toronto, cause I'm, I'm, I moved from Niagara. So you make your new friends when you get here. And then when I got into comedy, those friends just started getting, you'd see them less and less. And now some of them I don't talk to anymore. It's just, you become, you come into the comic life. And... Well, you know what, Jeff? I think there's way too much emphasis put in this world on love and not enough put on friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they talk about, um, leaving a small carbon footprint. I think it's important to also have a small emotional footprint. I think um, there's not enough enough respect for people who have um, delicate relationships with others, and that's what a friendship is. Mm -hmm. I have never argued with my friends, ever. (laughs) But if you love somebody, it's all arguments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, uh, like, I'm not, I, I don't think it's a bad thing that I don't see these friends from my previous life too much before because like i said i can see them and you pick back up but 
I think the friends I've made in comedy are those like you, you go through the trenches with these people, you know, it's not just growing up. It's well, the, the you know, struggle of trying to do this crazy fucking thing we want to do. It's true. And uh, that's you get good. You get good bonds with that stuff. Yeah. So. It's an artist's community, too, mm-hmm. especially with comedians. You have to remember, like you find your friends and you gravitate to that. Type sure. Of but I got to mm-hmm. tell you, I hate that term community. <laughs> I really do. I hate that term community. You know where you won't hear the term community? In New York, in L.A., <laughs> because people understand that, you know, you want to have a good relationship, working relationship with the people around you, but ultimately it's, it's a zero-sum game, and every time you get a gig, that means somebody else does not. Mm-hmm. So you have to be sort of aware of that. And that's a problem, too, because your friends are still your competition as right. well. That's right. And, like, I love seeing my friends do good, and I want them to do good, and I've the last couple years I've... Start, I've taken a step back from the jealousy of my friends doing good. And I'm just like, you know what? Good for them. Right. Like, they're putting that effort in. They get it back. And I'm, I'm getting everything back from comedy that I put the effort into. So, like, I don't feel like I'm being left out or, like, passed mm-hmm. over stuff. Like, if I wanted more, I would work harder to get more. And I, I get that. And I, get, I see guys working harder and getting it. And good for them. I'm, I'm done being jealous and pissed off that I'm not... Yeah, going to just for laughs. I don't give a shit anymore, you know. Well, there's good restaurants in Montreal. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was a time when you wanted to go to just for laughs. I don't mean you specifically, oh, no. but there was a time when it would change your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. is no longer the case. I don't. I don't think anything will change your life now. It's, no, they're all bricks in a wall. Everything's so saturated. It's just correct. Like there's so few things that you know come out of the come through the cracks in the pavement these oh, days. It's that only it, going to get worse. Yeah. It's a Malthusian nightmare. Well, it's 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 kind of like it's kind of like your Facebook feed, how your algorithm just weeds things out. And that's like that's what Netflix is doing. Their algorithm is just weeding anyone out who's not famous already. Like it's hard to get a Netflix special if you're not already a name, you know? Yes. And that's that's where everybody wants to be now. They want to be on Netflix, but it's like Okay, my special did good, so I'll get another special. But there's hardly any like, all right, kid, let's go. Let's see what you got. No. Um, it, it's all mathematical now. It is, you know, uh, Frank Zappa, when he was alive, had a really interesting riff he used to do about how um, these old warty Jews that were running entertainment companies that did not know anything about the music <laughs> took chances on people that... Because they didn't know anything about the music. The real problem came when all these hipsters started getting these jobs that knew something about music. And that was the problem. They they thought they knew something about music. Mm -hmm. The person who signed Frank Zappa knew nothing about him. They just had an inkling. They just had a... They just wanted to take a shot on a weird guy. Yeah, nobody takes shots anymore. Nobody does you know? that It's anymore. like... Uh, well, I will. I <laughs> I heard... Um, do you know uh, a comedian? He's... Uh, I don't think he's a Yucks comic. He's been through town, though, and uh, done some Yucks. Brett Forte. Do you know this guy? Yes. He came I, in from I, Calgary. I think, I think, actually, we do rep him out, out west. I, I don't know. I think west. he's a floater. I think he's a... I, I don't well, whatever. I, I do know him, and I, we've had He's him a good here. kid. He's, he's funny. He's young. He's a, he's a hustler. Um, but he posted the other day, he was in L.A., and... Uh, he got asked to leave a comedy show because he didn't have enough followers on Instagram. <laughs> they like looked him up. And they're like, nah, yeah, nah, I nah, believe nah. that, of course. And it's just, it's so superficial. And like, I think he's... Well, there's a reason for this. Of course, in the, in the, in the beginning of, of time, uh, when comics would, would 
go to a, a comedy club. The comics themselves were not responsible for putting asses in seats. Mm-hmm. It, you went to see a comedy club, and you didn't know who was going to be there. You'd mm-hmm. never heard of any of them because mm-hmm. there wasn't an internet. There weren't even comedy specials. Yeah. You couldn't put this stuff on TV because it was uncensored. Yeah. You just went to a comedy club, and if you had a good time, you'd go back again, mm-hmm. right? Now, it's not that way anymore. People in the States who own comedy clubs, because it's happened, things are happening more, you know, uh, more uh, just quick... <laughs> quicker in the states it'll happen here eventually unfortunately but um they want followings people yeah they tell me that if they book an act that doesn't have a following no one will show up on the at the club even on a saturday night mm-hmm. it all has to be sort of they're pre-booked with pre with followings as seen on uh, or with enormous social media following. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's all changed that way. Wasn't there, wasn't it you in the day who put a dead man's name on the marquee and still filled the place? Um, I did that for six weeks running. <laughs> <laughs> what I did was, well, comics came to me back in 1978 and said, you should pay me more. I put people in, uh, my friends all come to see me. And I said, well, that may be, but everybody has 50 friends that will come to see them. But unless you have 500 friends, that's not going to happen. And to prove it, I went to the Roselawn Cemetery (laughs) and I copied down names. Off the tombstones, you know, Sam Spiegelman, um, <laughs> Jerry uh, Schwartzberg, whatever. All Jews? Uh, well, it was a very Jewish club in those days, <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah. And one um, cemetery. Oh, yeah, and one yeah. cemetery. Well, it's a Jewish cemetery. <laughs> so, um, and then I ran, uh, we used to run actual ads in the newspaper in those days, just the name, and we would put the names in, and the numbers didn't go up, and the numbers didn't go down. Mm-hmm. I proved my point. Now, I could have just made up names, but I knew that 30 years later would have been a better story uh, on your podcast by actually going to the cemetery. Yeah, yeah, you you went and fleshed these out. I Put wanted, the work in. It was performance art. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, well, let's get back to uh, your high school 60s days. Yeah. Um, were, you, uh, were you getting into the experimental side of things or... You mean drugs? Yeah. No. no I never? Was, no, I was not into drugs until I was in university. Um, but I was really into pranks and... I ran a guy for a student, a student uh, council president mm-hmm. um, who didn't exist. And he won. And it was a big scandal at my school. <laughs> and the principal tried to block me from getting accepted into university. Of yeah. course, that didn't happen. And years later, it was such a, it was so upset him that 10 years later, when we had our 10 year reunion, I went to the 10 year reunion. I went to shake the principal's hand, who had since retired. And he refused to shake my hand. He said, "You left a mark." He said, "You are a menace to society." <laughs> Did he know what you were doing? Yes. <laughs> and, I, and at that moment, I was famous because I was on the cover of every magazine and every yeah. newspaper. I was in the newspaper all the time, and so oh yeah, everybody knew what I was doing. <laughs> and he was just he was livid about what I had done to him. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I've got a few people in my small town. They, they're not happy that I come through and. Do a little comedy no, festival. Like, we always knew you'd be, uh, you know. Just well, it's a form of revenge. When I started the club, people would. I mean, you couldn't get in. I mean, you couldn't get in. People were actually trying to buy their way in with fifty dollar bills. Jesus. And people would show up at the box office and say, "Please, please let me in." I was a friend of Mark in high schools. <laughs> a friend of Mark's in high school, and Mark people, didn't have friends. In that's high school. right. That's exactly <laughs> what they were told to say. Mark had no friends in high school. That's why he does this. <laughs> Oh, that's it great. wasn't quite true, but it was true enough. So, what what do you go to university for then? English literature. Ah, okay. Well, okay. for that's that's the end. That was the end result. Actually, I started off. I went to Glendon College at the time. It was a special 
uh, college for uh, diplomats, to train diplomats. Mm -hmm. um, and I had it in my mind that I would become some kind of diplomat, which is a, a highly ironic when I'm one of the least diplomatic people on the planet. <laughs> um, you're not supposed to say what you what you mean um, if you work for, in that in that capacity. Also, I don't drink scotch, and that's also a, a must-do in the diplomatic corps. <laughs> but I really didn't want a desk job, and I thought, wow, I'll travel the world. The weakness was this was a bilingual college. You had to take all your courses in French, and I just wasn't that good at languages. So my marks were terrible, and I had to leave, and I transferred over to main campus at York where I studied English literature, something in my own language, <laughs> and I was quite good at it. So what what's the goal with an English lit degree, though? Oh, like, I don't know. Um, I, I guess I thought I would... Did you a, have a, an idea of what you wanted? No. No, those were the days when you didn't have to have an yeah, idea of what yeah, you wanted. Just go get a piece of paper I and something Well, I just figured I'd... I don't know. It used to be they just hire you. To, they'd look at a paper like, "Oh, you're committed to go th do this." I knew it wouldn't be enough to have a degree, mm -hmm. so I figured journalism, uh, maybe uh, professor, uh, advertising. Mm -hmm. All of these things were sort of in the stew. And then I got the job that changed my life right out of university. What was this? I was on the team that developed Harborfront. Um, down on the lake here okay. in Toronto. I was in the first team. And all I had to do was ha dress in a, an ugly powder blue jumpsuit <laughs> and hand out pamphlets to the people who came down to the site. <laughs> there was a tremendous amount of entertainment that there was this company that they hired to program the site. And they would hire bands and all kinds of stuff. And But they were all older guys. Yeah. And they would say to me afterwards, what did you think of the band we hired last night? And I went, well, that was shit. <laughs> and said, if you want to hire a good band, here's who you hire. Because I was always into entertainment. Yeah. I went out every night of the week. And they would hire them, and it would be good. And finally, at the end of the summer, when everybody went back to whatever they were doing, they said, would you like to come and work in the office with us and plan for next year? I had no other plans. So I said, okay. And the next summer, um, I, a bunch of people quit, and I wound up running their entire theater program. And one of the things I did was start a comedy night, and... That led to Yuck Yucks. That was your first booking, that comedy night? Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, 1975, that would have been. Oh, so I, my first booking, uh, I still work with them. I Well, like my first show I produced myself. Um, the girl whose place I ran it, she helped me run uh, the Icebreakers Festival. Ah. So And we still use her place as a venue, and she's she's in. She loves it. Yeah, well, I, I, I left Harborfront under under bad circumstances. They fired everybody, absolutely everybody who worked there. Uh, there was like a huge purge um so i just went on uic and all my friends said to me that my comedy friends said we have no place to play now well i happened to know a guy who ran a folk thing a folk night at the 519 community center 519 church street and i asked him if the comic could perform in between the um in between the folkies i was dating a folk singer at the time great girl so i knew about the folk scene and he said, yeah, we, so I got everybody to go down, but it was oil and water, the comics and yeah, the folkies, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, the comics were chain smoking and swearing and wearing black yeah, it's a, and the different folkies vibe. were all, you know, wearing earth tones and <laughs> it was smelling of patchouli oil. <laughs> but then I had the best idea I ever had, which was Start I went up. to the board and said of the community center, cause I said, could I have Wednesday nights? do a comedy night and they said yeah okay we'll have to charge you for the room so i put a dollar cover charge on and yuck yucks was born nice well before we get into that well let's let's backtrack let's get back to your university okay, sure. days you said uh said you did, did some drugs maybe i want to i want to get down deep see how uh how far did you go i was never a big druggie um i liked my pot i always did i always will mm -hmm. um but i'm a guy who smokes twice a week 
always did, always will, yeah. never more, never less. Um, in Over the course of time, I tried everything, mm-hmm. but I never really liked anything Nothing much stuck. else. Yeah. You know, I was Timothy Leary's uh, agent, Canadian agent Which for a while. Timothy Leary? LSD. The LSD guru. Okay, guru. okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and, and I represented him up here, and I went, I toured him up here, and so obviously I, I'm i one of the people who can actually say I did acid with Timothy Leary. Wow. Um, which is kind of, you know, that's a, that's mm-hmm. even better than this Order of Canada pin. Oh, um, they should have a pin for that. Um, but, and he was he was an amazing guy. So I tried, every, I've tried everything. I tried heroin. I tried everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because at heart, I'm a philosopher. How hard you go on the heroin? Just smoked it? No, smoked I it? shot it. You fucking, you shot yeah. a needle in your arm. Yeah. Once. Yeah. And that's all it took? Yeah, you're I, threw, like, eh. I threw up and I hated it. Okay. So, you know, I'm not a big guy who likes to vomit. How was the high before you threw up then? I didn't even feel, get high. It was just throw up and that's oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah, it was, it was not good. Okay. So, um, I've never been a big druggie. I tried Coke, you know, half a dozen times. Uh, made me even more jittery than I usually am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but no, the pot is good. I'm not a drinker. I don't like to drink. Um, I might have a beer, a light American beer on a holiday in the pool. Jews don't drink. That's not true. Yeah? Jews from small towns drink. Because <laughs> they have from to, a small town They drinks. have to keep up with the local populace. That's right. But um, my father never drank much. My mother never drank. What about you tell me, because uh, you and the wife go down to my hometown a lot, Nagar-on-the-Lake. Yes. And you hit the wineries. No no wine down there? You just She drinks. I <clears> won't. You, I just don't drink. I just don't like it. Are you the driver when that happens? Do you even drive? I can drive. I have my license. I prefer not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I drive when we go down to uh, Palm Springs because the roads are really wide and there's nobody on them. <laughs> and you get a convertible. Yeah, you're yeah. driving along and there's it all the palm trees. Good. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. But who wants to drive here? No, I, I drive in the city and I fucking hate it. Of course. It. If you could eliminate driving in Toronto, you could eliminate about 30% of the stress in your life. Oh, yeah. It, this would be the greatest city in the world. I didn't have to go anywhere. I can tell the days when my wife has meetings all over town because when she comes home, she's, she's, a, she's a bundle of nerves. And who can blame her? It's mm-hmm. awful. Yeah, yeah no, it's... Uh... And I do remember, having grown up here, um, when that wasn't the case. The roads were empty. Mm-hmm. When you only needed a three-lane highway to get into the city. You know, I would drive with my father when I was five, six years old in the car. I don't remember traffic jams. Yeah. And you said your dad owned a nursery home? Well, he was in different businesses. He was really in the shmata business, like every other Jewish guy. What's the shmata? Rag trade. Uh, he made clothes. They okay. had oh, a factory. Okay. had a factory that made clothes, uh, work shirts, actually. Uh, the United Shirt Company, ah. that was called. Um, built to last. <laughs> and he owned this? Yes. Nice. With his brother. Uh, it was actually my grandfather's... Okay. Uh, factory yeah. that he started. Um, my family came over here very, very early in the waves of Jewish immigration. We were here in 1881. That's okay. that's quite early. Where's the uh, the origin point? Um, my father's uh, family is from Lithuania, okay. and my mother's family, they're theater gypsies. They were from Vienna. Okay. In Austria, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they mostly went to New York. Uh, my mother's from New York. All my right. grandfather's from New York. There's a st- there are all kinds of stories about my grandfather on my, f- my mother's side, Max Shore. He was kind of famous in, in the city. He ran the Yiddish Theater in Toronto uh, in the days when the Yiddish Theater, like, they would have sell a thousand seats a night. Yeah, yeah, and it was over at uh, Dundas and Spadina, which became the Victory Burlesque, which my Uncle Harry ran. And this is, the, this is your first glimpse into showbiz, then? 
Well, I never saw the Yiddish theater. It closed down by the time I was born. Right. The Yiddish as a language uh, was over after the Second World War because it was considered the language of the oppressed. Uh, it was the language of the concentration camps. Um, Jews, when I went to Hebrew school, we didn't learn Yiddish. We learned Hebrew mm -hmm. because that was the uh, language of power of Israel, of our own place, okay, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was, so, it, but when Yiddish theater was, was popular between around uh, 1900 and 1940, um, it was incredibly important. This was a community center uh, of the Jew. Uh, this was the center of the Jewish community, mm -hmm. um, the, the Strand Theater. Now, my grandfather ran it, and the, uh, the great story I like about my grandfather, and this is in Joe Salzberg's book. Joe Salzberg was the communist uh, member of parliament um, from Toronto for about 20 years in the 40s and 50s. Oh, shit. And he tells a story about my grandfather, Max, that uh, when Lenin died, uh, would have been 1923. Um, a lot of Jews were communists here in Toronto. My family was not, uh, but a lot of Jews were, were, were communists, and they were very concerned that Stalin was going to take over, which is exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge demonstration just outside the, the theater. Thousands and thousands of people, Jews, showed up. Mm -hmm. And there were speakers. And my grandfather went out, to try to calm the people down. But of course it was in Yiddish. And the police had no idea what he was saying. They assumed he was a rabble rouser. So they arrested him. <laughs> so when he got to the... Uh, the court, uh, when he got to the courthouse or to the jail, um, there were uh, policemen, Jewish policemen, who recognized him and realized, and they let him go. But the moral of the story is, I think I'm a badass, but it's my, actually my grandfather who was arrested yeah, yeah. for free speech. I wasn't. You ever, you ever been arrested? No. No? Not exactly. <laughs> when I was uh, 14, um, I was at a demonstration, it would have been 1966, uh, and I threw a rock at a cop. And Shit. I was put in a van to be taken downtown, and then they let me go. Like, that's as close get out of as, here, kid. That's as close as I got. Scary in the van a bit, rattle your cage. No, I was I was thrilled. I was with all the <laughs> important student radicals. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. One time I got arrested was uh they threw me in the drunk tank um out of a bar and then uh twenty minutes later they threw my best friend in with me and we had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> they got to the point where we were being so rowdy, just having a blast. They called this guy's mom at four o'clock in the morning and we were grown men who lived away from home, and they're like, hey, can you just come pick these guys up? <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, no, didn't, never did hard time. Well, I never even did soft time. <laughs> well, that, that uh, stay in the back of the uh, paddy wagon there. For what? <laughs> Half an hour. <laughs> yeah, but you think... My parents were furious, though. I told them the story. They were just furious. Just think me. if that happened to you today and you were a teenager, the blog you'd write about that half hour. Sure. That harrowing half hour, they took your phone away from you. <laughs> yeah, well, of course we didn't have phones then, did we? <laughs> um, so, you uh, start this Wednesday night, Yuck Yucks. Yeah. Um, where'd, where'd you come up with the name Yuck Yucks? You know, to this day, I'm not really sure. It came to me. Um, I can tell you that it was a very good name to choose because... Um, you know, uh, there's different chakras in your body, and uh, different chakras resonate at a different frequency. And I know that sounds really new, new agey, but it's really mm -hmm. true, and it uh, corresponds to comedy. Um, the kind of uh, laughter, for instance, that you would uh, have from reading a New Yorker cartoon is very different than what you the laughter you would have watching the Three Stooges. Mm -hmm. um, so. I always thought that the most important thing in comedy was a release, a big release. And that means it has to come from a lower chakra. Hence, 
Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> oh, it yeah. had to be a yuck, yuck. It <clears throat> couldn't be a tickle or a giggle or something light. I wanted something powerful with a, a bass end. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize any of this at the time, but now looking back on it, I can see it. You know, it was interesting because I was very good friends with Rick Moranis at the time, who was actually a stand-up at the time, although mm. he disavows it all now. <laughs> um, Is he any good? He was brilliant. Oh, I do. Brilliant disavow. Brilliant stand up, and he hated it. He hated it, and every week he would say to me, It's like begging for laughs. I hate this. It's like begging for laughs. But he said to me, You're going to call this place Yuck Yucks? I said, Yeah. And he said, Oh, no, no, that's a bad idea. You call it the Comedy Factory or the Comedy Emporium or something. Because Ricky was always a really practical guy. Yeah. And in my own way, I was not. And I said, I don't know, Rick. I kind of like yuck yucks. It's kind of, and now it's, it's like catchy. it's a household it's name. It's like now. Kleenex, you know. Um, so it turned out to be a really good name for a lot of reasons. Did you know there's a chicken place over on Queen? I know, Cluck Clucks. Cluck Clucks. I know, <laughs> I know. And I was gonna go there and give them a hard time. <laughs> See if I could get a meal on the house at least. You know who I am? Give me some free chicken. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. I was gonna do that. Maybe we'll do that after this sure, uh, podcast. Sure. Um, I'm always up for free chicken. So uh, me too. So uh, Union Chicken. I think is the best. <laughs> Union Chicken. Love All it. Right. Yeah, right. Union Good Chicken. There's one in uh, Sherway and there's one in the in Union Station. Do you like the spiciness of it? Are yes. you a spice lord? Well, I, I do like spice, and but they have fantastic... Um, uh, fried chicken, yeah, with a honey like it's all in honey and and uh, and a pepper sauce. It's oh fantastic. yeah, it's the pepper sauce that mm. really I feel like you had it. Oh yeah, it's I like I know them to be spicier. Yeah. than most chicken places. Yeah, and I also like Popeyes for that. Oh, there you go. Well, that's where the originator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So no, I do like spice. We're, Mark and I are going to do a fried chicken podcast. Hey, yeah. do it. You can be on a speaking duck podcast. That's my food right podcast. Here. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll talk about food. <laughs> Jews and food. Um. The. Uh, but Yuck Yuck's name, it's, uh, it's household now. Like it's, it's household. We did some sort of study a number of years ago, and we found out that you know, 84% of um, English-speaking Canadians of you know, eliminating really young people and really old people know what Yuck Yuck's is. Well, like um, a comedy show in, the, in a small town, if, even if it's not a Yuck Yuck show, we're going to the Yuck. I know. We're going to the Yuck Yucks tonight. I know. And it was a great name. It also may have been... A nod to my love of the Three Stooges. Yuck, 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 right? Um, you know who uh, references yuck yucks a lot is Howard Stern. I know they uh they they'll they'll have little promos like tonight at yuck. They had that uh, little uh, the midget guy Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. and they did this weird promo. It was like uh, yuck yucks presents Beetlejuice, and they had him like telling jokes. There's a like... clip of Johnny Carson on the Tonight Show going, "Uh, my next guest, a uh, very funny man. He'll be at yuck." Yuck Yucks. <laughs> Good name. Yuck Yucks. <laughs> Somewhere. I wish I could find that How far that through the clip. States did Yucks get? Buffalo and Rochester and, <laughs> ready for this? Maui. Maui. <laughs> now you're going to ask me, why Maui? Why not? Okay. Exactly. <laughs> um, because I was living in Los Angeles doing the Joan Rivers show, mm-hmm. and I was renting a house from a guy who was a retired director. Mm-hmm. Um, he had directed Robert Wagner in uh, It Takes a Thief. He directed most of it. What's it was it called? It Takes a Thief? Oh, I wouldn't know. An old-time movie guy. No, no. They were... Uh, it was television. Oh. I think it was It was a TV series with Robert Wagner in it. Okay. Anyway, that was his claim to fame, and he had moved to, to Maui. Um, and we started to become friends, and he said... You know, he knew about Yakex, and I said, we should start one there. And he did. I went out to Maui. I lived in Maui for... About six months after the Joan River show ended. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to Toronto in about 
a year later, the club just sort of yeah. vanished. Wasn't there one in Barbados? No, you're thinking Bermuda. Bermuda. Yeah, that was a disaster yeah. um, <laughs> that had nothing to do with whether people people came. It was all good, but the people who were our partners um, screwed us out of the, the deal, mm -hmm. and we couldn't really fight it because of uh, Bermuda law. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, that also eventually, get a lawyer that and... eventually closed, too. Okay. Um, I, you're trying to make a move back into Buffalo. Well, we're trying to make a move back into Buffalo. Yeah. All right. I got to get my papers. Yes, you do. Get over there. Ch Chair Campbell's got a great joke about Buffalo these days. He said, uh, cause I hear you don't even need your passport to get into Buffalo any day. Just a canned <laughs> food item. <will> do. <laughs> That's funny. Um, the city's coming back a bit, but you know, there was a time, um, and we're going way back before my time when Buffalo was considered one of the most sophisticated cities in the United States. Oh, I know all about this. Right? Uh, and you can tell, because if you there are streets that have these incredible mansions, these wide, wide streets. They now become rooming houses and mm -hmm. consulates and all kinds of things. Yeah. But th it was a wealthy city with wealthy people in it. Um, it was, uh, you know, center of the Rust Belt, lots it, of... It was uh, built for three million people, and they got a couple hundred thousand in it. Yeah. It's best rush hour in North America, though. Really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't and know that. Do you know what the downfall of Buffalo was? The Welland Canal. Because ah. it was no longer the last stop on the Great Lakes. Right, right, So it, right, used, right. it used to feed all the Great Lakes, products, whatever, clothing, everything. When, and when, then you could bring in your cheap shit from China and bring it through the canal and it just... When my mother there. toured as an actress, um, as a child actress with the Yiddish stage, the place they were most excited about going to, the one place that they waited for was Buffalo. <laughs> and even when I, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> even when I was a teenager, the cool kids in Forest Hill would all pile into a car on the weekend, drive to Buffalo and go shopping for clothes. I'm from being from Not because they were cheaper, but because they were cooler. Being from Niagara, uh, there was, there's still a lot of my friends frequent Buffalo a lot. Like they have, like, because they're trying to, you know, revamp the city. And try, I know. So they do like, uh, they got outdoor concerts all the time. And yeah. it's just free concerts go down there. Like it's a half hour from Niagara Lake. It's, I don't know. It's not the worst place in the world. It's got a bad reputation, though. It went through some bad times. When we were um, there in the 80s, it was, you didn't go downtown. Yeah. Um, what, uh, your, your mother, did she act when you were, uh, when you were growing up? Oh, or? no, no, no. She ended that when she, when she married my dad. Okay. In fact, that's how they met. My, she worked in the box office, too, and my father went and bought a ticket to the show. Kind of fell for my mother and went back to see that show six times in a row before he finally asked her out. <laughs> That's a meat cute story. Yeah, no doubt. No, was the show any good though? Or did I he have just sit no... there? He just sit there trying to plot. He's like, okay, maybe, maybe this time I'm gonna no say no idea. Hi. <laughs> but you know, they did what they were. They would do um, translations of Shakespeare, Chekhov. Um, they would do um, uh, like uh, sketches, mm -hmm. all nice. in Yiddish. Oh. What um what's your preferred entertainment like these days? Porn. Um, <laughs> but uh, barring that, so my second favorite. Well, look, I've always been a movie junkie. Yes. Um, I've even, as you probably know, I used to review films for Metro for mm -hmm. two years, three years. Um, I've I wrote a film that was actually made. I've got two films in development now. That doesn't mean they'll get made, but I love film. <laughs> I love just sitting in the dark with strangers. Frankly, I just love the whole thing. I go to the film festival. I see 50 films in 10 days. Jeez. It's all I do. It's like, it's psychedelic. Yeah, it's yeah. entering everybody else's consciousness, and it's overwhelming, and I love that. Um, I don't watch a lot of TV, although now I do, because TV has now eclipsed film, mm -hmm. um, because I'm not into superhero movies, yeah. and that means... 
well, that's there's almost nothing that's to all, see. Yeah, that's all. There's almost it's nothing. It's just to blockbusters see. now. That's right. So uh, the really good stuff is on TV now, but that's very new. Mm-hmm. That's only in the last three, four years, I think. Uh, I don't know. I think Sopranos was Maybe. the, the okay, start well, of something yeah, like, the oh, HBO, shit, this is HBO how shows. TV can be. But now with Netflix, there's something on all the time. There's mm-hmm. always something to watch. Yeah, yeah. And it's the... Uh, I, I still think uh, Sopranos was the, like... It set a new standard for TV. Yes, like it wasn't just about the the bad guy being the hero. It was about uh, writing quality, acting quality, production value, like everything. That was just the first thing that was like, okay, we have to be this good now. I was also really into music as a kid. Um, I probably know every song from 1957 to about 1985. In 1990, I stopped listening to the radio completely. Um, <laughs> there's nothing on it for me. There are no songs that interest me. There are no groups that interest me. Um, there are no genres that interest me. But in that period, um, I knew everything. I'm talking about every single song. And um, the reason for this is my sister Zelda, my younger sister, the one that got sick, um, used to work at Eaton's in the record department. And she would bring home records oh, yeah. for me to listen to. So I was brought up on, not on Disney music yeah. when I was five, I was brought up on Little Richard nice. and uh, Larry Williams and Elvis and, and everybody. I used to watch American Bandstand every single day and I used to masturbate as a child <laughs> on the couch to the girls in the poodle skirts. And, <laughs> and how the, old are you at this time? A kid. Like, were you, were you jizzing? Probably like, not. Like... Okay. No, it was probably a dry cum. Okay. <laughs> but I, I was, you know, I don't know, eight. I, I used to watch it re- yeah. religiously. It was every day, four o'clock. I, had to, I made sure I was home so I could watch that show. <laughs> I knew the top ten. I knew the bottom ten. I knew it all. And I wanted to be Dick Clark so badly. Mm-hmm. That was my, my dream, to be Dick Clark. And, you know, in a weird way, um, when I used to host my shows... I was channeling the spirit of a Dick Clark. <laughs> now, years later, after jo- I got my job with Joan Rivers and it ended, um, I had an agent who got me a meeting at Dick Clark Productions. And I was praying that I would have the actual meeting with Dick Clark, but it wasn't. It was a, an underling, but I got to go. He had, it, His production office is a house in Burbank. It's like a big mansion in Burbank. And you go in, and it's better than any, um, uh, what's the, like, not the House of Blues, but uh, uh-huh. I guess it is House of Blues that has all the rock memo- uh, rock trivia. Oh, hard Rock. Hard Rock, thank okay, you. Okay. It's better than any Hard Rock you could ever go to. I'm sitting there in a, in a meeting to see whether I could work for them, and John Lennon's guitar wow. is sitting yeah. beside me, and under there's a... Uh, a there's a, 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 a pedestal, and on the pedestal, under glass, are the lyrics to that Elvis wrote to something. That's amazing. Um, my, uh, my stepmom and me have a constant argument about, she says there was no bad music made in, like, I forget the year. She's 1968, 1969. She was like, there was not a single bad song made in those years. And my thing is, I go, I go there's always going to be shit. I go, you just don't remember the bad stuff. And that's why you don't think there was any bad music made. I have the... Uh, a book that Chum put out, which was every Chum chart between like 1961 and 1980 or whatever, and you can look through those and see whether she's right or wrong. She's not far off. Yeah, but there's always going to be shit. That's chirpy, what art chirpy, is. cheap, cheap, <laughs> notwithstanding, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it was a time of great ex- experimentation. Did you ever want to be a musician? Uh, no, but I've written a lot of songs. Okay. Uh, I wrote a lot of songs in that, in that time period, uh, when I was in university. Um, 
but I, I don't have a... I was in uh, choir in high school. Uh, I, can, I could sing, but I could never play an instrument. I'm just not very good with my no, I mean, fingers. No, me, me neither. And... I, I, I can't command my fingers no, enough to like, they play don't a go piano. Like, I couldn't get my pinky to work no, my on its own. My eight-year-old is studying piano, and I can't even help him. Yeah. Is, he, is he good? I don't think he's going to be uh, in concert. Does he soon. like it? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, which is good. I like when you bring him down to the club and I just say <laughs> awful things. I came off the stage, you came to see my headline night, and you're, I come off the stage, you're sitting in your booth with your kid. I was like, oh, shit. And you're like, oh, he doesn't pay attention. <laughs> well, first of all, he doesn't pay attention. But second of all, he's very good in understanding that this is the language of the stage and not mm-hmm. the language of real life. Yeah, yeah, he has yeah. never repeated a dirty word um, at home or at school. And in fact, we were at a cocktail party. Well, that tells you everything. I bring my kid to cocktail <laughs> parties. Well, we were at a cocktail party, and a lot of people were near us and one of them said fuck and he said just a minute to me and he went over to them and said you shouldn't say that word <laughs> he's a bit of a prude actually How my old son is he? eight so you had him at 59 58 yes 58 i know it's w- w- almost w- a record w- was it uh was it planned or was this a it was this, was, you guys thought you were out of the woods like your mom thought you were out of the woods we decided that we wouldn't do anything to get in the way of a pregnancy but oh, we weren't okay. trying to get You're pregnant just doing what Whatever happens, happens. But five years before, just out of curiosity, I went for a sperm test, and it tasted terrible. <laughs> no, I went for a sperm test, and um, they said you have great mot- your sperm it's great motility. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a large number, and they're not deformed. If you wanted to, you could probably have a child. Okay. So um, I don't know. I mean, it was. I was. I don't know what to. Th- I didn't know what to what, think. Yeah. Was it a shock? You're like, what the no, hell? No, I knew it, and I'll tell you why I knew it. Mm. I went that we were my wife and I were down in um, Cabo and we had sex one morning and then we went whale watching now if you go whale watching on a little boat that little boat is jumping up and down and (laughs) stuff and it was it was mixing some stuff up in there right and then after we got off the boat we were walking through the town and my wife sort of clutches her stomach and goes oh I said, what's the matter? She said, I don't know, but I haven't gone to the gynecologist in a while. I, I think I should go. Oh, I'm getting these twinges. And, you know, lo and behold, two months later, uh, we're at home, and my wife says, uh, it was a Friday night. I always go to the club on Friday night. Mm-hmm. She said, are you coming home early or late tonight? I said, I think I'll only go to the first show. That was when we did two shows on a Friday night. And she said, okay, good. That was a bit odd. And she came, I came home, and she was on the couch, and she points to the dining room table. And on the dining room table, there was a, not quite, there was a jar of pickles and a, jar, and a jug of ice cream. <laughs> and I got the message. Yeah, that's the weirdest craving. I know. She didn't really have it, she, but she was, that was her joke. <laughs> yeah. she's, she's got a good sense of humor. Obviously, I, you'd have to have that if you were doing, if you yeah. were living with living me. Living with you. How'd, yeah. you. how'd you guys meet? Film festival. Oh, okay. Um, we were just at all the parties together, and we just... Started to meet meet up with each other again and again and again. And it's uh, you you wouldn't have to go through this because um, like you're not out grinding open mics every night. But it's uh, I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) But like um, I always had difficult uh difficult time getting a girl who understood what the fuck I'm trying to do. I never had that like problem. It, it was just uh, like, she's like, what, why do you got to go to the Ossington on a Monday? I'm okay, like, well, well, I never you know, went I to the Ossington new... on a Monday, well, but I always yeah. went to my own club. Yeah, yeah. And there was a time when I went, you know, five nights a week. I would be on stage five nights a mm-hmm. week. Um, you know, I, I think the girls I went out with and dated all found it kind of exotic and, and fun. Yeah, they, uh, well, they see the they see the you on stage, and that's a, uh, 
don't know. That's a stimulant. But also, I'm the, I'm, I'm the ringmaster. Yeah. And I'm the guy with my name on the sign, and mm-hmm. that's sexy, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if I had to depend on myself to be sexy, I think <laughs> it, would, it just wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know all these incels? Yeah. Right? I know a few they, of them. Well, you know, they think <laughs> they, have a, they have a problem, right? I could solve their problem really easily. Get into show business. <laughs> There's girls. Don't oh, get I, laid. Trust me. I um I here's a <laughs> here's a little fact about my comedy career. Um, my first time ever doing stand up comedy, I had sex with the host that night. Who was he? <laughs> it was Rob Bevanick. <laughs> you know, I've heard he's good. He's great. Good thick. Guy. He's very thick. He's no Rob Pew, but I hear he's good. <laughs> I wish I'd get Pew. Um. <clears throat> Let's talk about. Uh, so you moved the club. You got. You're doing one night a week, and it's. I'm doing it's one. Filling up. Nope. It's dead. Oh, okay, okay. It's disastrous. It's a terrible room. It's long and narrow, and it actually used to be a bowling alley. <laughs> um, in the what was the first Granite Club in the city ah. long ago, but about nine weeks <clears throat> in, I get a call from a guy named Jack Capizza who's the entertainment writer at the Globe and Mail. He says, I hear you're doing something interesting in comedy every Wednesday night. I said, yes, it's true. He said, would you mind if I came down and maybe I could write something about it? I said, yeah, sure. So that Wednesday night, he shows up with his little pad of paper and writes all through the the show. And there's maybe 20 people in the room. And he said, okay, um, I, this was fun. I think I can get something in on Saturday. I said, that's fantastic. Saturday morning, I wake up, and I had one of the first answering machines. This is going back to 76, I guess it was. Um, And uh, there's usually two or three messages waiting for me, but there were 42. And I thought, oh, somebody died. (coughs) But I start playing them. Mark, go out and get the globe. Beep. Mark, you got to go get the globe. You won't believe it. Beep. Mark, you have to see that globe. Okay, so I ran out, got the globe and mail, and there was in the, the two full pages about this genius thing that's happening uh, in this little uh, hole in the wall Mm -hmm. in a community center. The next week on the Wednesday, I went, you know, an hour early as usual to set up the club. There was a lineup around the block. I counted 992 people. How many does the club fit? 110. Oh, shit. And it never abated from that. It was packed. So another... A year and a half passed. Are you just still just Wednesdays still? At just this point? Wednesdays. Well, that's all I could have. Yeah, they had yeah, other yeah. programming, other other, how long other did, nights. How long did that go? Just Wednesdays. Uh, two years. Okay. And at the end of that two years, a friend of mine, uh, who was a financial whiz and came from a very wealthy family, had come in from Stanford where he was getting his business degree. He said, "What are you doing these days?" I said, "Well, I'm running this comedy club." He said, okay, uh, I'll come with you. So we came down, saw the lineup, saw the people you know, packed, packing the, pl- the place. Um, I said, what would you think? He said, I'm not really a comedy fan. He said, but I, you have a business here. Yeah. And he helped me raise money. And Is this uh, Silverman? Space. Nope, a guy named Louis Feinberg. Okay. Um, and he lives in New York. He's an arbitrageur now. Um, I haven't spoken to him in decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, he helped raise the money, and uh, we opened up in Yorkville. Okay, and what? Uh, how many nights a week you do in this first club? Oh, that was six nights a week. Six nights right a from week. the get go. Two shows on weekends, or yeah, wow. Yeah, it was. It was just the biggest hit. People, as I mentioned before, people were lined up. They would try to bribe their way in. You couldn't get in. I was hosting every show. I was getting more and more more outrageous every moment. Yeah, and what's uh, how much you charging to get in at this point? 
Four fifty on the weekends. Four fifty on the weekends. Okay. Yeah, maybe two dollars on the weekdays. Uh, something like that. Yeah, but that's seventies prices. That's. Yeah. No, it's still it was it was no, it was meant to be cheap. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be cheaper than a movie. Yeah. Uh, that was always the idea. And um, we didn't want anybody to stay away. We didn't have a liquor license in those days. Oh, shit. For the first two years, we had no liquor license because it was very difficult to get a liquor license in those days. Mm-hmm. And you had to have serve a certain amount of food. We couldn't. The place wasn't big enough to generate that amount of food. Yeah. So we took over the space next to us, set it up as a restaurant and did dinner show packages. And we were able to sell food in the uh, main cabaret, which allowed us to get the liquor license, which kind of changed everything. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Because now with a liquor license, all kinds of people showed up that shouldn't have even been there. And people would come, you know, they would expect, I don't know, Red Skelton? Mm-hmm. I don't know who they would expect. And I, I was on stage and I was a terror, just a terror. Um, and I used to even call it comedy terrorism because <laughs> terrorism was very big in the 70s. Yeah. And, um, uh, People would get up and they would be just outraged by the comedy and they'd go to leave. Well, to leave, you had to walk past the stage to get to the exit doors. And I would just <laughs> whirl on these people and say, go, go, go back to your stupid little lives in Oakville, you fucking goys. Uh, and, and then I would take out my wallet and I said, Bob, before you go, just realize it. I'd whip out a big wad of bills. And I'd go, the Jew has your money. <laughs> the Jew has your money. And then I would have everybody chant, the Jew has your money. The Jew has your money. And they would go off. Then a week later, I would inevitably get a, a letter in the mail because this is pre-internet. Yeah. And the letter would be um, addressed to the owner saying, um, I was at your club, and the MC, because they couldn't imagine that the MC would, the owner, would yeah. be that guy, um, and I was offended. It offended all our Christian values and blah, blah, blah. Well, I had a stamp made, a rubber stamp made, that was about, oh, I don't know, four by four inches, and it said, eat shit and die, the Yuck Yucks management. And then I would take the stamp, stamp the, right, stamp the letter. They would always have, the idiots, um, a return address on their... Uh, on their letter, yeah. and I would send it back to them. <laughs> Reasoning that if they hated it, they were going to say lousy things about about yeah. the club to their friends anyway. So what was I losing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was always a, a line in the sand that the club kind of uh, established. It did not do business in a conventional way. Um, it wasn't, we, we never tried to, you know, uh, uh, embrace the middle. We would rather alienate people who hated us and make people who loved us Love us even more. Well, you can't do that anymore because now everyone's got to be included, Mark. Yeah. Everything's got to be safe. Can't offend anyone. Somebody's going to write a blog about you. Well, I did book a show called uh, White Guys Matter. Oh, as I we remember. all remember that, <laughs> right? And I did book Jeremy Piven, mm-hmm. and I don't. I who knows who's next? Would you ever book Piven again? No, um, it was, it because was kind I think of a circus. Well, I no, it's not that. I think. Once you saw him, you saw him. Yeah. He's not a stand-up comic in yeah, a conventional he's, he's sense. Not, he's not going to work on his next hour for no. next year. No. He was very entertaining. If you were a big fan of the show and a big fan of what he does, he's an amazing comic actor. Mm-hmm. And he told stories really well. If you remember, you, you saw yeah, it, yeah. right? He told stories very well, and he gave people more than I think they expected. But I don't think people would come back to see it again. He was also very difficult to deal with. I, I had friends in Niagara, went to see him in the falls, and he bombed the show they went to. Uh-huh. And he, he didn't know how to handle that because he's he's, he's very green very green he doesn't know like what the hell do i do if i'm bombing he was very green um but you know i i endured a certain amount of criticism for that booking mm-hmm. i endured even more criticism strangely for the white, white guys, guys matter. matter show which was only a 
funny title and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. it was. It wasn't even about what it said it was going to be about. So, uh, but I don't care. But the thing is that the publicity of that show got people in the seats, and there's these protesters aren't fucking coming down to the club. Well, Everyone's sitting behind their keyboard. And everybody who seemed to say we were never coming to that club again, we did a little bit of research, and it turns out uh, they live in Akron and probably <laughs> never would. Like, they weren't even from Canada. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. were just people who, you know, they have their, look, they have their politics, and they, they want to they wanna tell us what, what it's all about and threaten us with their politics. But we know the truth, that um, it's not the people who don't come to the club that matter. It's the people who do come to the club that mm-hmm. matter. And that's what my we father t- catering my, towards. Look, my father told me something very important once that kept my sanity through um, my my puberty, which was, it's not the girls who say no, it's the girl who says yes to the prom. That's the one that matters. That's mm-hmm. the one that counts. <laughs> not the ones who say, no, I don't want to go out with you. Exactly. So I still hold on to that as a... As a as, as a way of doing business and as a way of living. What are these lineups looking like back in the 70s? Any, any, anyone, of, uh, anyone you can remember? Well. Anyone who went anywhere? Sure. Howie Mandel. Jim was he Carrey. back in the 70s? Well, actually, uh, Jim Carrey showed up when he was 14 years old in the first club on Church Street in the basement. Um, he was awful, and I gave him the hook. <laughs> we used to give the comics Was there the an hook. actual hook? Yes. There was not just an actual hook. We had a whole bunch of ways, of very creative ways of getting people off the stage. Mm-hmm. The gong show was really big in those days and kind of influenced us a bit. Um, so what we had, we but we went more surreal than they did. Um, we had a penalty box for comics. Two minutes for boring the audience. And we'd stick them in this <laughs> corner. Um, uh, we'd put a dunce cap on somebody who was bombing. Um, my f- favorite was the disaster tapes. Um, what would happen is somebody was bombing. We'd have a tape and it would go it would have a car crash and then a voice would come on it's a disaster then i would come up on stage and it's like morning radio yeah i would come up on stage and i would read from this huge book called book of disasters so the hindenburg 1928 whatever it was and i'd read the story of the hindenburg and everybody would applaud and then the tape would go on another yuck yucks disaster i had my girlfriend at the time dress up in a slinky outfit and walk through the long aisle down the middle of the room with a box of tomatoes and eggs and just as if she was a cigarette girl and she would go tomatoes eggs tomatoes <laughs> eggs and the guy would slink away we never threw them yeah, yeah, yeah. the suggestion was enough <laughs> That's we great. did all kinds of crazy stuff and the new club um when we had it we had um the toilet tapes were famous we were famous for the toilet tapes the toilet we had we were i think one of the first clubs ever to have a television set up in the um uh, in the club, and I was, I'd was i be on stage, and somebody would go to the bathroom. And I would say what every MC always would say, which is, oh, let's turn on our closed-circuit television and watch Peter go to the bathroom. <laughs> Except we had a tape that we made that we would slip in, and it, the tape would come on. And it would look like somebody was in the bathroom. Yeah. We shot it from the top, so you couldn't really tell the person's face. Uh, stuff like that. That's great. Um, so Jim Carrey's coming in in the 70s. And yeah. he didn't break until the 90s. No, that's not true. No? He broke in Canada. Um, let me, I'll tell you what happened. Yeah, so um, he came in in 1976 or 1977. He was 14 years old. Then he came back, um, I think, 1979. And he was still only 17, but he'd obviously played a lot of county fairs because he had a really tight... Act. Now, I never really liked his act because it was too old school showbiz for mm-hmm. me, but the audiences went berserk. And a guy from the Toronto Star came down, reviewed the show, and you remember the thing they said about, John Lando said about uh, Bruce Springsteen, I have seen the future of rock and roll, and it is Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Well, he cl- 
crib that lines, and I've seen the future of comedy, and it is Jim Carrey. And we featured him, and lineups around the block, couldn't get near the place. And now he was on every television show okay. in Canada and did everything. He went to the States pretty early on. He would have gone as early as 80, maybe 81. No, it would have been even 1980. And he got a big sitcom that he was the star of called Duck Factory. Uh, and it was produced by James Brooks. It had the best people in it. Bombed horribly. Mm-hmm. And he went right to the bottom. And then he clawed his way back up slowly. Mm-hmm. But um, but I would say Jim had kind of, in a sense, broken through uh, in Canada before that happened. Same with Mandel. Same kind of story. And they both happened around the same time. When they made it, um, as far as they did, you know, at, at first Mandel was only on just uh, Make Me Laugh and shows like yep. that. But that was enough. That was television in the States. That changed whatever the way that everybody looked at their careers. Because before it was just, <laughs> look, <laughs> look at me, Mom, I'm on stage. And that yeah, was enough. Yeah. But now people thought, hey, I could actually be a, a movie star, yeah, yeah, a TV star. Yeah. That changed things. My introduction to Howie Mandel was uh, the movie Walk Like a Man. Oh, God. When he was raised by wolves. No, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> Mandel never had a good film career. He never had a good film career. No. He never did a film that was really good. When did you get connected to Joan? Um, 1986. I got a call. I was uh, hosting at the club. It was a very hot Friday night in July. And uh, I was about to go on stage, and the girl in the box office said, Mark, there's a call for you. And I said, no, no, not now. I'm just going to go on stage. She said, I think you should take it. It's Joan Rivers. And I had never met her before, never heard from her before. And I went, okay, it's a prank. So I took it. It was Joan Rivers. Mark! And she Mark! Said, oh, 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 Mark, I, I hear wonderful things about you. How are you doing? Uh, fine, uh, Joan. I'm just about to go on stage, actually. So, oh, I, I love it. I love it that you perform. It's wonderful. Um, and what happened was she said that she had this new show coming up on Fox. And she heard great things about me in comedy and would like to talk comedy with me. I said, well, sure, Joan. Anytime. She said, how's next week? I said, uh, yeah, okay. She said, I'll fly you down to L.A. Where do you like to stay? I said, uh, I like the Shadow Marmot. Oh, Shadow Marmot is a wonderful, wonderful hotel. I said, can you put me in Belushi's room? I'll sniff the carpet. And she liked that. And um, she said, oh, you're funny. Good. Oh, it's wonderful. We're going to have a wonderful time. And um, she put me on the uh, phone with Dorothy, her assistant. Um, we worked it out. And I said to everybody that weekend, I'm going to L.A. next week for to meet with Joan Rivers. And they said, what? Why? And I told them. And I said, it's a job interview. I said, that's not a job interview. She just wants to pick my brain. Mm. Give me that. Give me a nice trip to L.A. They said, it's a job interview. <laughs> I went, oh, okay, maybe. So I go to Joan's place. Uh, it's a beautiful Tudor mansion in uh, Bel Air, and there's gates, and then there's more gates, and then there's more gates, and then you go through. There's more gates of Microsoft. Um, <laughs> so you go through all the gates, and then finally you ring the doorbell, and a guy comes to the uh, door, and he's all dressed in white livery, and he's got a, uh, a silver tray, and he's about seven foot eight. And Lurch says to me, uh, Joan will be with you in a moment. Come on into the sunroom. I go into the sunroom, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and Joan breezes through, and uh, like just like my Jewish aunt says, I got a plate of Mandelbrot. I just made it. You want some? <laughs> and we have a talk about comedy in a very kind of general way. Who do you like? Who don't you like? But here's the twist. 
She was completely bandaged up like the mummy, except for her eyes. Now I'm she just got some work done. She got a new TV show coming. She got that's, good. That's right. So, but I, I don't know. Do you say anything? I don't know what the protocol is here. Um, I mention nothing. I say nothing. I just have this conversation with this woman in a Hollywood burka, right? <laughs> so, burka. so I'm sitting there talking to her, and she said, "Oh, Mark, 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 I want you to meet Dorothy. You're gonna love her. She's my assistant. Dorothy, could you come down here? Dorothy comes down from the home office, and um, she's really great. And by the way, just as a Sidebar, Dorothy is the woman who puts uh, Phil Spector behind bars years later because she had dated Phil Spector, and Phil Spector pulled a gun on her. Shit. And she testifies to that. But none of this means anything then. So, although I did have the same car Phil Spector was driving, and I dated, I have a Phil Spector thing, uh, obsession, and Phil, I I have the same car as him that he had, and I dated a woman that uh, dated him. It was, anyway, that's another story. So, um, uh, Dorothy and I have a nice talk, but Dorothy, I notice, has a big bandage on her nose. And again, I don't want to say anything. And then uh, Joan says, you don't have to be anywhere, do you? Because Billy Samet's coming over. He's my manager. He's wonderful. He manages Cher. He manages Elton John. I think there's a gay, uh, you know, (laughs) there's a gay dream. Um, So (laughs) Billy Samet comes in. Hi, everybody. I'm here. Billy's here, everybody. Billy's here. And I go, hi, Billy. Uh, uh, Mark Breslin goes, oh, I've heard so much about you. It's wonderful to see you. And he has a big bandage on his ear. And I can't stand this anymore. I got to say something. And I say, Joan, I have to ask you, everybody here is full of bandages what's going on she goes oh oh okay well you know if i have a good year and i hope i have a good year this year knock on wood uh, i treat each person of my key staff to one item of uh, cosmetic surgery <laughs> and if if you work for us uh and with us uh what would you have done and i said not missing a beat well i've always wanted a penis reduction and he goes a penis reduction oh that's so funny you got the job he's got the job everybody he's got the job and i got the job there you go and i moved down to la uh in september nice did you hear about this billionaire uh that died having a penis enlargement did you hear about this guy a couple couple months ago? A billionaire died during a penis enlargement in Paris. Yes, I'd say that's ironic. Yeah, you're you're missing the point of being a billionaire. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> if you can't get Who girls, gives a shit. Right, if you can't get girls at that point, yeah, really, that's sad. You gotta, you gotta, you can do whatever else you want, but whatever. Um, quick, uh, we we gotta start wrapping up. Um, tell me about Sam Kinison. I was a huge fan of him. Well, so was I, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I met Sam and got into Sam before he was famous. In fact, when he was considered unbookable. Mm -hmm. I went down to the comedy store, as I often did in those days, to find headliners because there just weren't that many Canadians. We're talking 1982, Mm -hmm. maybe 1983. Yeah, I think it was about 83. And um, they would put on an inventory for me, and I would watch everybody, and I would book, you know, two or three acts. And one night they did this, and uh, they put on 10 or 12 acts, and they came over and said, okay, so that's the end of the showcase portion. We just put this guy on at the end. He clears the room while we give out the checks. They said, so if you want to so if you want to leave, so if you want to leave, I said, I'm not going to walk out on a guy. I'll, I might as well sit. How long is he going to do, 15 minutes? Yeah, okay, I'll sit here for 15 minutes. And the guy goes on. And it's a, it's a mess. But it's one of the most interesting messes I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So at the end, the guy, people from the comedy store come over and say, okay, so who did you want to book? I said, I'll book the last guy. <laughs> and they went, oh, yeah, so-and-so, he was really good. That bit he has about, you know, airplane food is fantastic. Said, no, 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 not him. The actual last guy, the screamer. You're going to book Sam Kinison? I said, yeah. So I booked him. 
it was the first time I think he'd had a book, like a paid booking mm-hmm. outside of L.A. Um, he came in. The show always started on Wednesday. He didn't do very well. On the Thursday, and Norm MacDonald loves this story. He quotes this story all the time. <laughs> on the Thursday, the room is pretty packed. He clears everybody from the room. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean most people. <laughs> I mean absolutely every single last human breathing person. He's just from yelling the, room. the whole time. Just, just yeah. <laughs> and I go backstage at the end of this and I take $100 out of my wallet. And he probably thinks, okay, he's going to pay me off and, and he's going to he... send me home. Yeah. And I say, Sam, this $100 is for you. It's a bonus. It's a bonus for walking everybody in the room. <laughs> and every night this week, every show, you manage to walk everybody in the room. In addition to your fee, I will give you $100 extra as a bonus. <laughs> but you got to walk everybody, but you don't, get the, <laughs> you don't get the money. And he was completely, totally shocked, of course. Um, for the rest of the week, he did not do well, but he did not walk everybody. He did not get any extra money, but that was not the point of it. The point of it is um, it, it cemented a, a relationship and a friendship with him mm-hmm. that lasted till the end of his life. Did um... He came in subsequently um, the next time, and he did okay. And then the third time we brought him in... Smoked it. It was just like lightning. It was amazing. Because, you know, when you're doing something really different, it's going to be ugly until yeah. it works until and it's beautiful. you figure out how to work it. That's right. Things take time. Yeah. Did uh, you hear that story um, Mike McDonald told on uh, Marin about uh, shooting Sam up for the first time? He's the first one who ever gave him heroin. In the Yuck Yucks uh, kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And he, he was talking well, about... Well, that's how... one way to make the food at Yuck Yucks better. <laughs> he was talking about how... He goes, when you shoot heroin... I don't know if you've heard this, Alex. He goes, no. when you shoot heroin... It, you feel it working your way up, and it works your, and then it just kind of engulfs your body. Unless and, you throw up, like and, me. Yeah, and he said he, he goes, he goes, I shot up Sam. He goes, and I could see it moving up towards his head. He goes, right before it totally took him in. I went one more soul, and I get mine back. <laughs> and then Sam was like, "You bastard!" <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Mike was great. I could do Mike McDonald stories all night. Mm-hmm. We we I think we're running out of time. We'll but, uh we'll get into uh, that nice pin you got on your shirt. How did that come about? Just you get a call someday, or you you campaign for this, or you don't campaign for it. In fact, if you campaign for it, you guaranteed not to get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's um like it, was that something that was even on your mind? Of course. Okay, and of course. Right. There's there's a series of awards you can get in the arts. Mm-hmm. This is the t- or or actually in the country, this is not an arts award specifically, but this is the top award that it's possible to get. This is the highest civilian decoration in the country. Order of Canada. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, and I knew that um, especially Humber College had uh, put my name forward a lot because it would look good on them to have yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know somebody on their masthead basically who has an Order of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always good. But there were a lot of people who were you know trying to help, and I think Howie Mandel helped. And uh, this had been going on for fifteen years. Okay, um, you have to wait a long time. It's not something. You yeah, I didn't know if it was just a call you got out of the blue. Like, well, I really? did. Well, I did get the call out of the blue actually. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I got a call and it said. Uh, this is so-and-so could from the uh, governor general's office could you give us a call back but i thought she said receiver generals uh, and i thought oh fuck i didn't pay my taxes i'm gonna kill my accountant i called him up and i said look i pay i've paid it all off take a-. no 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 sir mr breslin we're offering in the order of canada do you accept and i said well i i considering the uh way that the native people in this country have been treated i cannot accept your award Really? No. I what I said was, <laughs> I can be there on Tuesday. 
<laughs> um, and is then, Justin going to give it to me? And then they said, no, it's not political, you see. It's done by the governor general. The governor general is not connected to any political party or any political movement. She oh. is the representative of the queen. Ah. Um, so um, I was told, uh, we're going to announce this in about eight weeks. You have to not say anything to anybody except your immediate family. Uh, I told my wife she cried. Um, you know, I told my sister, but I had to keep it quiet. And, you know, I would go out for dinner with friends and they would say, what's new? And I'd have to say, we're having a drink special in Niagara Falls Club, um, (laughs) not being able to say what I really wanted to say. And then it was announced. And it was interesting because it was announced, um, when we were on a plane coming back from Christmas holidays from Nassau and I paid the extra $11 to get Wi-Fi on the plane Mm -hmm. because I was waiting for the, I knew it was going to happen while we were on the plane. And there it was. When we were coming, right when we were coming into Toronto, and my social media just exploded with people nice. saying, um, "How dare they? Uh, oh, how you dare know, they? <laughs> what a mistake! Uh, you know, whatever uh, people say." And then I had to wait about a, a year before you actually go for the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And I went for the ceremony just last November, and it was beautiful. I took my wife and child, and it was you go to this beautiful like palace. It's like Versailles mm-hmm. um, comparatively, uh, where the uh, uh, Prime Minister lives. He lives at a dump <laughs> compared to where the Governor General lives. And oh, there's nice. an art collection. I don't know if you're into art, but I am. And that art collection of Canadian art is better than anything I've ever seen. Um, beautiful ceremony. I was very moved. I'm not a very sentimental person, and I'm kind of suspicious of all institutions. But let's face it. It's a nice thing to have. It's great in a conversation when you're arguing with somebody over comedy or over business. You just say, talk to the pin. You wear that pin every day? Not on my bathrobe. Not on your um, I wear it when I'm wearing a sport jacket, okay. but it looks... Yeah, it'd, be, of, it'd be weird on a, on it a looks, golf shirt. Yeah, it looks stupid <laughs> on a golf shirt. Exactly. Um, what's uh, You said your social media blows up with uh, people. The haters. Do you like the haters? Like, do you like when you throw a show called White Guys Matter and the, do, do you enjoy the chaos? Um, I enjoy the chaos, but I would much prefer for the people to understand why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. And it just shows that I guess I have, a, a, they're just people you're never going to connect with. They're already prejudiced against you and they just assume the worst. Yeah. You know, they look at that title, they say, ah, Breslin's a racist. Uh, Breslin's not a racist. It's much more complicated of what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was trying to do with that show was, um, I was ta- it was about not, uh, it was about expressing individuality over uh, over groupthink, which is something that is very important to me. Mm-hmm. I must be the last person who who believes in that. Um, it was about, you know, Mort, Mort Saul once said to me, "There's a good start." From, <laughs> uh, I asked him about Kennedy and how he could write jokes for Kennedy uh, uh, about Kennedy when uh, you know he was only sort of helping the Republicans. He said. He said, Mark, there is no cause that is so holy that it cannot be mocked. Yeah. And that's all it was. And it I was just mocking with a title. There's... That just shows how idiotically sensitive people have become. And one of the reasons I've always loved comedy and the kind of comedy that I do and the kind of comedy that stand-ups do is that it mocks everything. And that's good. Insensitivity is good. Mm-hmm. Build a tough skin. Yeah. And I like don't cry when somebody calls you a name from the stage and then go into tears. Learn how to just take their head off. I, I was an open mic last night getting getting yelled or getting heckled from the stage by the comics after my set. And I'm just I'm laughing because I 
I think it's funny. And I, if you yes, find... but you're a white male, yeah. so you can take it because you're so clearly privileged. Yeah, I, I was told I, I was privileged because my dad owns a cottage, and I was like, how is that privilege? Like, my dad's been driving a bread truck for forty five years. Well, to buy that I am place. privileged, and you want to know how I'm privileged? <laughs> I'm not just privileged because I'm white. I'm not just privileged because I'm male. I'm privileged also because I'm Jewish. I'm also privileged because I'm talented. I'm also privileged because I look good. I'm, I mean, I could just give you a whole list of reasons I'm privileged. Suck it up yeah, we're and have, learn from me. Sorry we're having a good life over here. Yeah. Fucking take yours, I'm too. I'm happy to share my good fortune with everybody. Mm-hmm. But you have to have good fortune to be able to share it. <laughs> well, you'll be sharing your good fortune with me in an hour when I take your stage. Yes. Um, yuck Yucks, downtown Toronto, and they're all across the country. It's uh, you, You've built a nice thing, and we uh, we, we appreciate the uh, getting to be a part of it. You good. Know? Being, uh, being on the stage. It was right? always part of the the reason I did this. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. That's why, like, I, 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 I produce my own stuff, and I, it's just, you do it for the love of doing it. And Yeah, and if it brings you things that you didn't really anticipate, even better. Yeah, like, I when I started this, I thought it was just something I'd go do a couple nights a month, maybe. Right, and then, sure. And then it just kind of, it engulfs Look, you. Look, I tell it, people like, you cannot, you know, especially at the Humber College thing, I tell them you can't get into this to become rich and famous. Mm-hmm. If it happens, and it does happen for some people, oh, man, that's fantastic. Yeah. But you can't do it for that reason. No, do it Because it only happens for one out of a couple of hundred people. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm... Maybe even more than that. I've never been a fame horse. So I don't really give a shit. I just, I like, I like saying offensive things and getting a laugh. I yeah. like getting a groan, but if I can say something fucked up and have a group of people laugh at it and be like, okay, it's it's a fucking joke. Well, Let's all just... I won't even say the obvious. The comics are truth tellers. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, other than that, man, we got to wrap this thing up. You yeah. got a dinner to get to. I got a dinner. I got a show to get to. Thank you for coming down. What did you think of your experience here at Never Sleeps Network, huh? I got to say that four times or I don't was get paid. It a fantastic experience that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. <laughs> My pin, my order of Canada, and this. You'll, you'll think about it every night and you take it off. I okay, there you go. See you in the office next week. Buddy. See you in the office next week. Your, your new employee, Alex, here. Like, we're... Remember the tea? Double sugar. <laughs> Coca-Cola. You're a Coca-Cola guy. I'm a Coca-Cola uh, guy. Yes. We know. We Wicked. know it's Well, uh, we, uh, everyone knows where to find you guys. Order of Canada, Mark Breslin, Yuck Yucks, Comedy Clubs. It's uh, it's a legacy, and um, we're happy to have you here. And uh, thanks for always putting Thank me on you, stage. Thank and you. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Jeff. And guys, you know where you can find me. Uh, I'm, at, I'm on Yuck Yuck stages. And, uh, of course, every Wednesday at the Underground Comedy Club doing dope and mic comedy. Huh? We even got T-shirts. I can get you one of those. If you want, Mark. Um, <laughs> I only like white t-shirts. Actually, <laughs> I sleep in them. Uh, but guys, uh, it's been the Potato Files. Thanks for listening, and thank you for, again for coming in, Mark. See ya next time, everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye. Never sleeps network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Hello to the five people still listening and mom. Thank you for listening to the Potato Files here on Never Sleeps Network. Now that you're done this, go check out another NSN podcast created right here in Toronto. 
comedy and wrestling fans, check out Casey Corbin's wrestling podcast, Talkin' Wrestling, here on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.